back. And before we begin, I'd like to let you all know that this episode of the Golf Guide podcast is presented by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health-conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and walking golfers get lower rates on their life insurance. Go to healthiq.com forward slash golf guide to, su- to support the show and see if you qualify. All right, let's get down to business, everybody. Kyle Serlo back here with another episode of the Golf Guide podcast, and uh, we've got a few things to cover. I've got a, a fun little interview with my buddy Chris Durr uh, at the end of this, but uh, before we do so, let's dive into the news of the week. So uh, as many of you on the West Coast, I'm sure we're paying plenty of attention to the Farmers Insurance Open down at Torrey Pines last weekend. Uh, it turns out that uh, Jason Day is still alive. He exists. Uh, his back may be broken, but that is not keeping him from winning golf tournaments. Uh, Jason Day ends up winning over Alex Norton in a, what I will say, a two-day uh, playoff after uh, several sudden-death playoff holes uh, on Sunday evening, uh, Darkness ended up winning the day, and Jason Day ended up defeating Alex Noren on Monday morning uh, after just one hole of play, after uh, he knocked his third shot to a couple of feet and tapped in for birdie, while Alex Noren, from uh, from an interview that I saw after the golf tournament, when he saw Jason Day lay up with his second shot, he kind of thought the door was open um, to try to go for it, and that way he could either you know have a, an eagle putt to win or possibly two putt to win, depending on how Jason Day did on his third shot. Uh, he recapped how, you know, given the pin position, his uh, three wood was positioned perfectly to get to the back of the green, uh, which he felt, you know, from that spot, he would have had a good chance to make the putt. And if somehow, some way, he didn't quite hit it perfectly on center, then that would actually get it even closer to the hole because it'd be towards the front of the green. But alas, he hit it real not good. Is that how you say that? And uh, ended up finding the drink on his second shot and uh, wasn't able to match Jason Day's four. So he walks away with his 11th PGA Tour win. And despite uh, the former world number one uh, getting back into the winner's circle, that is, it, it's crazy that it might have been like the third or fourth uh, most important or significant storyline from the Farmers Insurance Open. The first of all, uh, the one thing that at least me and almost every single person that I know care about and respect uh, was watching Tiger Woods. And, you know, Tiger finished the tournament at three under par. He shot an even par 72 in the first and final rounds and then mixed in a one under and a two under par round in the middle of the tournament. Um, given that the winning score, you know, was, uh, you know, I guess it would have been like six or seven strokes below where Tiger was. He certainly was not really ever in contention to win the golf tournament, but uh, when it was all said and done, a top 30 finish for Tiger gets him back inside the top 600 in the world golf rankings, and uh, I thought there were some pretty encouraging signs uh, from Tiger this weekend. The one thing that I th- that I took away that I thought was most encouraging was that we actually saw Tiger take a few really aggressive swings, and he didn't seem to affect his health. Um, in, in the, you know, the hero world challenge last year. And also the one before that, you know, tiger swing while, you know, I mean, he's still tiger woods. It's going to be powerful regardless, but you didn't see a lot of that torque and that real aggressive, you know, kind of stroke that he puts on the ball sometimes. And he flashed that a few times at the farmers this past weekend. And, uh, the fact that he still seems to be feeling healthy and he can really get after it if he needs to, um, that to me is an amazingly encouraging sign for tiger and uh, now I simply get to wait and look forward to his next appearance, which is going to be at the PGA Tours, uh, probably you know finest venue in terms of quality, strategic design, and architecture at Riviera uh, down in Los Angeles. So that is going to be taking place in two weeks. But uh, between now and then, we've got two other fantastic stops on the West Coast Swing. Uh, this weekend, the Waste Management Open, the biggest party in uh, professional golf taking place in Scottsdale, and then we're going to have the AT&T Pro-Am at Pebble Beach the weekend following, uh, and then after that, we'll get to see Tiger once again in Southern California at Riviera. But uh, one or two other small notes uh, from the Farmers Insurance Open in San Diego last weekend. Uh, there was a somewhat of a controversy 
regarding J.B. Holmes on the 18th hole. And I only bring this up because I'm actually really curious to hear what your thoughts are. Um, you know, nobody likes slow golfers. And nobody likes slow golfers who take a long time to deliberate, you know, deliberate over a golf shot and then choose to take the soft way out and lay up. Um, you know, it just, uh, for me, it, it was really strange because at that point, I believe I was actually out playing golf later that afternoon. So I was not watching it live, but I was kind of following on social media that it was happening. And you would have thought that J.B. Holmes had murdered a spectator's eight-year-old daughter. People were so angry. Um, you know, I I certainly don't agree with, you know, anybody who tries to take four-plus minutes uh, to look over a golf shot. I mean, first of all, I'm not even good enough at golf to where I would, you know, I could ever justify taking more than 30 seconds uh, to think about what I want to do on a particular golf shot. But uh, it, it brought up a very interesting debate as to what the PGA Tour should do uh, regarding slow play. I personally, I don't really have an answer. I, I've heard a couple of different ideas bandied about. Uh, you know, a lot of people are in favor of penalizing players uh, once they hit a certain, you know, a, a certain amount of time uh, after they approach their ball. I mean, I, I guess that could work. Um, you know, I, I did see somebody else mention something about how the Japanese tour has some uh, different sets of rules in place that more or less ensures that every player on that tour plays in four hours, 10 minutes or less. Uh, I, I went to go back and try to find that tweet. But before the podcast today, I was not able to locate it because, you know, I'm just not very good at social media. And apparently all I had to do was just like the tweet and then I could go back and view it. But alas, I fucked up yet again. So, um, but yeah, I I don't really know what to do about the whole slow play thing. But uh, I do know that it is an issue. And, you know, the fact that most of the um, groups on Sunday at Torrey Pines took close to six hours to play, um, that that's just flat out unacceptable so I'm, I'm hoping that the pga tour uh can find a way to get that under control because that that's just it's crazy i mean i i get upset when you know when we pass four and a half hours uh, for a round of golf so six is just absurd um touching on a couple other professional golf tournaments that took place last weekend uh and by a couple i mean one <laughs> So uh, on the European tour, last weekend was also the Omega Dubai Desert Classic. And I bring it up because, uh, obviously, Hao Tong Li uh, was the winner. And a fun little trend here, last year's winner of the Omega Dubai Desert Classic was one Sergio Garcia. And the year before that, the Omega Dubai Desert Classic winner was one Dan Willett. So Hao Tong Li will now become the uh, another, will we'll try to be the third straight winner at Augusta National uh, to, you know, a, a guy who wins the Masters on the heels of uh, winning at the Omega Dubai Desert Classic. So, obviously, for the past few years, if you win there, it's a pretty good sign that the good things are to come in April. And also, um, Rory McIlroy, uh, it was his second tournament back after an extended layoff due to injury. And uh, Tor or Rory, um, the guy... Looks like he's playing pretty damn good right now. Uh, in his two tournaments since he has returned from injury, uh, he has a tied for third and a solo second. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know what percentage of golf fans like and dislike Rory. I'm sure anybody can find a reason to you know be on either side um, of that argument, but you can't deny the fact that dude's got an absolutely savage golf swing. Um, he's a damn good golfer, and he's a ton of fun to watch. And when he's really rolling and he's really playing well, um, I'm not sure there's a more fun person to watch outside of uh, you know Tiger Woods. And at this point, it's not because Tiger's the best. It's simply because he's Tiger Woods, and he in himself is just a spectacle. So it looks like good things are to come from Rory uh, in 2018. So let's keep our fingers crossed that... Uh, he stays healthy and that he uh, plays some damn good golf here going forward. Okay, staying on the professional golf train. This weekend, the Waste Management Open in uh, Scottsdale, TPC Scottsdale, uh, recently redesigned and, you know, maybe what, 10 years or less uh, that Tom Weiskopf and Jay Morsch went in and redid TPC Scottsdale. Um, you know, I, from people I've never actually played the golf course, but from people that I know and friends that I've talked to who have been down there, 
Um, they say it is a phenomenal closing stretch. Holes 15 through 18 are fantastic. Uh, and the first 14 holes are completely forgettable. But lucky for us, uh, people who are watching on TV, we usually don't have to watch a whole lot that's going on other than those last couple holes, most notably the stadium hole where they got you know tens of thousands of people watching, which is always a really cool, a cool thing. And uh, I think it's one of the more enjoyable experiences on the PGA Tour, both uh, in person and on TV. It just, uh, I don't know, it, it's very entertaining. I think the players like it, the fans obviously love it it's a i mean it's a golf themed shit show that everybody just seems to really be getting hammed at and you know what good for them man i I think golf needs a little more a little more life in it uh in that regard but uh regarding the golf this weekend the defending champion which was actually defending two back-to-back titles hideki matsuyama will attempt to win his third straight Waste Management Open this weekend, which is pretty damn awesome. Um, TPC Scottsdale, by all accounts, is a is a course that really favors solid ball strikers. Um, Hideki is coming off a pretty solid finish, I believe, a top 15 uh, last week at the Farmers, so he seems poised to have another excellent weekend in Scottsdale. Um, and the field this weekend is really, really strong. I believe uh, Hideki is going to be there, Justin Thomas. Jordan Spieth, uh, you know, five of the top seven players in the world are going to be competing this weekend at TPC Scottsdale. So for all of the golf fans and golf lovers out there, uh, it is going to be a really excellent weekend to watch some high-level golf. So I hope you guys uh, get down with that. And uh, other than that, now we have some non-PGA Tour uh, news. But uh, since I since the podcast last week. Uh, golf's biggest merchandise showcase took place down in Orlando, Florida, and that would be the PGA Merchandise Show, where golf vendors and golf uh, industry professionals from all over the place, you know, United States, abroad, whatever it may be, this is the time and the place where all apparel, equipment, manufacturers, or anybody that creates or makes golf products comes to showcase their newest offerings show them off to other uh, professionals in the industry, exchange business cards, and really just do a lot of grab-assing. And, uh, you know, from the couple of friends and sources that I had that uh, were in attendance last week, most of them said it was a really good time. Uh, It seems to be, you know, people who go usually fall into one of two camps. It's either that it's really exciting and fun, you get to see all sorts of new stuff. And then there's a uh, another segment, I will say, of uh, (laughs) attendees who are just... Not all that pumped to be there. Um, I always think that it's pretty interesting. I think next year, 2019, may finally be the time I have to go experience it for myself. Um, but that being said, uh, a couple of takeaways uh, from some friends and sources that were there. Um, in terms of equipment manufacturers, it looks like TaylorMade and Callaway are pretty much still the big boys. Um, their booths and their presence there was far and away the largest uh, of any of the equipment manufacturers or apparel manufacturers. Um, They're rolling out new product lines for drivers, hybrids, fairway woods, irons, you know, probably several versions of each one. Just really bringing the golf masses tons of unnecessary shit that uh, they probably don't need. But you know what? Hey, man, this is capitalism. All right, deal with it. If they make it, there's dummies that are going to buy it all. So if you are one of those people that loves getting new irons every single year, good for you. I hope you make a nice living um, and that uh, your desire to go buy new golf clubs every 12 months is not hurting your ability to pay your mortgage. Um, you know, I'm always of the mind that you know upgrading equipment is probably a once every 8 to 10 years type of thing. I don't really know if there's that many massive changes that happen on a year-to-year basis, but uh, alas, we live in a capitalist society. Uh, People love golf. People love buying golf equipment. And so companies like TaylorMade and Callaway are going to continue to pump out products uh, because they know that they are going to sell. Um, Some other takeaways, some other uh, equipment manufacturers that seem to have had strong showings. Uh, Ping debuted their new G400 Max driver. Uh, which supposedly was really good. And then uh, there was also some good showings from Wilson's staff. Yeah, Wilson's staff. Oh, that's right. Those guys are still around. Um, they are uh, Their new C300 line 
uh, apparently did pretty well, as did their duo soft golf balls. Uh, Cleveland Srixon, this new company called Zikio, which is phonetically spelled out XXIO. Um, none of those companies released new clubs, but they did have some big news. Uh, I guess Ernie Els is going to be playing Zikio golf clubs from now on, so that's f- fun, I guess. Uh, Tour Edge, you know, it, it's funny. I, when I was a kid, I used to see Tour Edge golf clubs and think, no, nah, man, that stuff's for wimps. Like That's for, that's for hacks. And uh, as I get a little older and I start to care less and less about the brand associated with uh, different products, Tour Edge makes a fine, a fine golf club. Uh, they rolled out a new line of hybrids that seemed to be pretty, pretty flossy. So uh, it was good to hear that they uh, were doing well at the PGA show. Um, other than that, you know, the rest of the brands and uh, and companies that were out there, you know, apparel companies, uh, accessory companies, our friends over at Seamus Golf seem to have really crushed it yet again. Uh, they held an event over at the Winter Park Golf Course uh, the day before the merchandise show started, and then. Uh, displayed a lot of their new offerings you know they obviously make some of the best head covers in the game and so uh yeah it was, it was good to see that it looks like they had a very successful uh time uh if you're somebody that's into uh track or shot tracking uh arcos has kind of been the leader in shot tracking technology they have the little um the system i think it's the 360 system where essentially they have these little things that you install at the top of your grips uh on all of your golf clubs and then what happens is it tracks all of your shots. It knows what clubs you're hitting. It knows how far you're hitting them based on where your next club is. And it really allows you to see and, and get essentially tour-level statistics on your golf game um, without being a tour pro. And for the last couple of years, they have kind of run that industry. They've been the only company really uh, dis- you know, providing golfers with that technology. But alas, at this year's PGA Merchandise Show, it appears they've got a little bit of competition uh, brands uh, like Game Golf and ShotScope uh, came to the PGA show with new products that could, from uh, what my source says, could be legitimate contenders um, to Arcos Golf. So that was a lot of fun. Um, there obviously was a lot of apparel, uh, footwear. Um, Top Golf even came out with a thing that says, uh, or showing that <laughs> apparently there's a new thing called Top Tracer Range, which will allow uh, Top Golf to be more or less installed at driving ranges across the country. Um, essentially what it is is, quote, it turns your local driving range into a top golf with each hitting station having their own screen for simulated rounds, top golf style, top golf style competitions, or launch monitor data gathering. And they say to look for these to start popping up nationwide in 2018. Hot damn. So if you are a big fan of top golf, that must be some excellent news for you. Other than that, uh, the PGA Tour merchandise show seemed to be a success. Um, I will say, though, uh, getting back to some of the bigger brands, it leads me to my last item of news, and that is that uh, if you are a follower of social media, you may already know, but uh, it appears Callaway and Titleist are really uh, are really about to go at it once again. So if you watched last week, uh, last weekend's Farmers Insurance Open, Titleist ran a uh, ad spot. Um, for their new Tour Soft golf balls. And in that advertisement, they compared it to Callaway's Chrome Soft and uh, showed some sort of a graphic indicating that it was a superior golf ball. Well, Callaway's uh, vice president of marketing, um, Harry Arnett, lobbed a big old Twitter grenade at Titleist uh, and really came after him. It it was pretty hot. And uh, I'm just going to read you Harry's tweet uh, that he directed at Titleist after seeing this ad because it looked like he really, it just really pissed him the hell off. So let's let, let's see what Harry said. Quote, Hi, Titleist. How are things? I love this whole trust thing you've got going on. Speaking of which, I just saw your new piece comparing your new two-piece sirline ball to our urethane ball. Pretty misleading and untrustworthy comparing two-piece sirline to urethane. Why not show Pro V1 versus Chrome Soft? Oh, I know why. First of all, uh, obviously, end quote. First of all, that is just the fucking dumbest thing I have ever, ever read. I mean, I get that equipment is a big deal. I know that, you know, there's a 
a group of golfers and equipment junkies that are sitting there reading that thinking, yeah, man, how could a two-piece compared to a urethane ball? Like, that's two different things. Well, you know what? I, I think what a lot of these guys are failing to realize is that 96% of us can't fucking tell the difference and that this is just some petty BS that it really is basically just making for some good internet drama. But, you know, other than the pros and the scratch golfers, how many of you honestly can tell the difference between a $30 a dozen uh, golf balls and $35 a dozen golf balls from Titleist and Callaway? Um, for me, I, most of it is, hey, what does the logo look like on the golf ball? Do I feel comfortable looking down at the golf ball? I mean, again, this is the same guy that loves playing Pinnacle Softs, so maybe I'm not the best person to talk to, but you know, I've played enough golf in my life and I've golfed with enough people at enough very skill levels um, where it's become pretty apparent that this whole shit, it's just really, really overblown. And it's, uh, it's kind of weird and petty to see all the stuff going back and forth. Uh, but if you want to learn more about this beef, uh, between Callaway's Harry Arnett and Titleist, uh, I invite all of you to go to mygolfspy.com. Tony Covey, their editor has a little article kind of going over all this different stuff and what his takeaway is on, uh, Callaway being upset, um, saying, you know, it, it it's weird that it is, you know, Apparently a two-piece and a three-piece or, you know, four or five-piece golf ball are different animals. Again, I'm, I'm not the best person to talk to. So he says that it is a little weird on Titleist, but, you know, it's not necessarily wrong what they did considering, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't get into too much further without just getting flustered at how ridiculous all this is. So on that note, um, let's get into it. Uh, last week. I did a, uh, well, I played a round of golf with my good friend, Christopher Durr, who was the, uh, uh, assistant golf professional at Presidio Golf Course for a time, but has now moved back down to the sunny uh, skies of San Diego. Um, so he had just moved down, but last week we got a chance to play a round of golf together out at my home course. And then uh, we sat down and potted for a little bit afterwards, and I'm going to share a uh, small little segment of our discussion about our f you know golf commentator power rankings. That's right. No, no, you know, nobody loves a good power rankings list more than me. So we're going to sit down and talk shop about our favorite analysts and uh, hosts on television golf broadcasts. Uh, but before that, a quick message from our sponsors. All right, quick message from our sponsors at Health IQ. That's right. You heard me mention it at the top of the show. Health IQ is a life insurance company that helps health conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, vegetarians, and golfers get lower rates on their life insurance. Go to healthiq.com forward slash golf guide to support the show and see if you qualify. Now, how do you qualify uh, for lower life insurance by being a healthy person? Well, Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance. Uh, for health conscious people. So for instance, if you're a golfer and say you wear a Fitbit, all right, and you're walking and you track 10,000 steps uh, during a round of golf. Well, you know what? You do that once or twice a week and you can actually, you know, when you talk to the people at Health IQ, you can provide them with that data and that is evidence enough for them to give you a lower rate on your life insurance. It's really, really cool stuff. If you're a cyclist, you can track your cycling. If you're a runner, you track the distance that you're running. Um, anything that you're doing to improve your health, Health IQ will want to know about it and use that information to give you the best possible rate on your life insurance. So once again, see if you qualify and get your free quote today at healthiq.com forward slash golf guide or mention the promo code golf guide when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Once again, that's healthiq.com forward slash golf guide. And now to the conversation with my good friend, Chris Durr. Do it. Let's do it, baby. Uh, let's let's go. Christopher Durr, No Gimme's podcast. Hello, everybody. How is it going, friend? Very well, dude. How are you doing? I'm great. We've uh, had a pretty lovely day here. 18 holes of golf, you know, out day. on the coast. Uh, no, I'm, I'm feeling good. I am as well. Had a nice match. So went to the 17th hole. It was it was good. Damn, dude. I am still a little bitter about it, but I didn't play great, so. I can't you can't you can't do much when you're not when you're not really doing what you want to do out there. One thing you can take a lot of sauce in is you did have to give me four strokes, and with you know having to give me two aside and still keeping it to, to the seventeenth hole, 
That, that's a good match right there. It was that, fun too. And more than anything, it was fun, which is the whole point. Like I like you said it. You said it when we were walking off the seventeenth green. I think I don't think I could have said it any better. You were like, I'm not the most competitive person, but I like the idea of competition and i like that it went to the 18 because it's no fun if you play yeah. a match and then it ends on like 14 you're like sorry dude i just routed you like mm. i'm not competitive but i want all the games that i do play to be a competitive match i agree yeah you know if, if somebody's got you know a six inch putt let, you know let's not be a dickhead let's just give it to them let's let's keep it going yeah exactly no <laughs> game no gimmies if you're trying to get better in practice but uh, <laughs> if it's a friendly match dude i mean if it's a six inch putt you bet that's okay to give a gimme i didn't mean to offend mr no gimmies right there that was that was, that was my bad no, well it's more of a philosophy on it's more of a philosophy on getting better it's not so much like a let's be anal about everything it's just more of a uh i think that in order to get better at golf you should i think the rule i think you should People focus too much on how they hit the ball and less on how they finish holes. So I think if you're trying to get better at golf, you shouldn't worry about re-teeing if you blast one out of bounds. Mm -hmm. Or you shouldn't worry about moving your ball out of a divot in the fairway if you hit a good drive. Like Those kind of things should be like, oh, okay, whatever. But you should make every single putt. Like You, you should mm -hmm. finish. You should really take care around the hole, even if someone gives it to you like, you know, if someone goes, like, how many times did I give you a six-inch putt or you give me a six-inch putt today? And you just walk up and you tap it in anyway. Yeah, you, like, uh, every time. Every time, right? Every time. Like, you, just, you just go like, okay, yeah, for sure. Let me just let me just putt this. And I think that's really important. So, gimmies are fair, but that's where that's where the mentality of the name comes I got from. You. Actually, can I ask you a random practice question real to quick? Totally. Go for it. Um, so, as a man who, you know, at one point of his life has been a, uh, been a you know, a golf professional, um, how much time should you be dedicating to ball striking versus putting? Just in that same exact philosophy where if you're saying people are focusing too much, I feel like a lot of people, when they practice, they spend their majority of their time out on the range where, you know, let's say you have for every 10 hours of practice, if you actually want to get better of those 10 hours, how many of them should be spent on the range versus with like a wedge chipping around the greens versus putting? I'd say it's like eight hours with a wedge and two hours with the driving range because the driving range is no a, time putting well like putting is putting and when i meant wedge i meant putting like okay. short game i guess i should say eight hours of very solid short game but then also like that those two hours spent on the range should be spent in the bottom of your bag more than the top of your bag like you don't have to hit two hours of drivers like you no. should you should be working on hitting like eight hour eight irons and like smoothing at your tempo and then in those eight hours there should be just a lot of putting and a lot of chipping because randomly like if you hit a lot of chip shots or pitch shots mm -hmm. and you're finding the middle of the face on those kind of like under 20 yard shots, mm -hmm. it's funny how that translates to, to the full swing. If you, if you find a good feel, you know, whether, whatever it is that your feel is for the week with your full swing. Sure. If you can, if you like are at least aware of what the center of the face is, uh, the, that it's easier to find in the top end of the bag, I think. So I think it should be a lot of focus on putting in a sense of not really, not even mechanics. Like I don't even think you really need to be that technical with putting. Like, oh, I'm gonna do three six nine drill, or I'm gonna do this. It's more mm -hmm. just like, oh, let me just go. Like, let me do eighteen unique putts and try to get like the least amount of strokes and eight. Like, basically mimic eighteen holes and do give yourself anything from like six footers to like thirty footers randomly spread out and just do that and try to like count how many putts you take. Okay. Yeah, because I feel like uh, my number one goal when I get out to uh, to the putting green to practice is just to make my stroke feel smooth. Like it to kind of really work on the fluidity because I feel like a lot of times my I'm very much a tempo player both in my swing and on the putting green and if I'm in the right state of mind and I'm not you know I'm, I'm being somewhat disciplined I feel like that's usually always my main goal and when I keep that in mind I always play much better I don't know if you noticed I had that swing thought today on the 16th hole out here we played the back nine first at uh, we played out of Bodega this morning. And on the 16th hole, so it would have been our seventh hole of the day, I, I remember to myself, because I'd done, been doing a lot of quick twitching for those first couple holes. It wasn't so good. And I was like, wait, you got no tempo right now. Get, get, get that tempo. Just go nice and smooth. And from that point on, I hit the ball much better for the rest of the At least my misses were not nearly as bad after I kept that in mind. And as soon as I had that thought, I immediately hit that nine iron on 16 to about 12 feet where I, you know, obviously missed a birdie putt, but pin high though that's that's key man pin high is that means you you had a good number in your mind and you made a good swing like you like you said you got back to tempo made good contact and the ball went where you were going like yeah it didn't go in the hole but i mean 12 feet pin high below the pin is like you're not gonna hear any arguing for me yeah exactly <laughs> with a nine iron from whatever you had like 132 or 134 or something in there too so it's like that's that's 
that's the leave you're looking for from that distance. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, it was good morning out here, but, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's really get into it here, man. All right. It's time to do a fun little mental exercise. Young Christopher, let's, uh, some golf commentator power rankings. Um, before we begin, you know, you've got a little list of five guys here. Uh, what, what was some of your criteria to you know, how, how does a commentator slash broadcaster, you know, win the mind and heart of one Christopher Durr? I hate cliches. So, so you should use one right now. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm not a big cliche guy. So the, the less cliche filled their, their commentary is the better. Okay. And I immediately like commentators who are either, or either were players before or seem like they have a good relationship with the players. Okay. So that's that's pretty much all my criteria. And then as far as listening, like it doesn't really matter to me if they have an accent, doesn't matter if they're clear. I don't care if they stumble over their words. I stumble over my words and I can still get through. <laughs> so I those kind of things like listenability, I guess if that's a word if we sure. can, if we can name that a category. Sure. That uh yeah, the smoothness of their voice doesn't go doesn't doesn't didn't register didn't play a big role in my voting. Okay, that's fair enough. I want to hear yours though. I want I want to start off with yours because I think you are more of a. I love my podcast. I love podcasting. It's one of my favorite things to do, mm-hmm. and I like talking about golf. But I think you have a little bit more of like the broadcasters like blood in you as far mm. as you have very a de- like a definite passion for for broadcasting like i think you would enjoy being in the booth more than i would like i like i like my forum a little better where i'm interviewing people as opposed to getting up in the booth and and doing that i think i have more interest in in this side but i feel like you have a little hankering in you a little bit to get up in that booth so tell me a little bit about what went what went into your criteria for your top five power rankings well first of all that is some very kind words thank you i'm blushing out here people i mean just just me young christopher in a room and i am blushing so uh, his face is as red um, as the focus right i would also be lying to you if i said i hadn't thought about how awesome it would be to be like a play-by-play guy so the the one small difference in our power rankings is uh, you just simply had your top five, and I I felt like I had to break it down with, you know, quote unquote play by play guys or you know the host uh, as I think it's it's more normally called at least in the, the golf broadcasting world, and then obviously you know the analyst uh, that goes with them. And for for a play by play guy, I don't want a lot of frills. I like a kind of no nonsense, like to the point. Like I, I want you kind of like keeping me aware of everything that's going on. And then you know for an analyst. Um, it's kind of just personal preference. I, I can't say there was any one metric um, for my analyst guys. I, you know, it's just the guys who I like. I'm 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 kind of an odd duck myself, so I kind of tend to favor the dudes that are a little, you know, you know, a, a little off, I guess you could say. So, uh, um, you know, my my top analyst is a guy that uh, isn't, you know, he, he's not a golf guru by any means, but uh, it's, I just happen to find him very entertaining, and more often than not. Um, it's best when he's paired with somebody else, uh, and they have like two analysts, like per se, instead, you know, instead of just him. Um, and really, I think a lot of the time he's actually walking out on the course. I don't know if he's always in the booth, so I might as well just get right to it. So if I'm starting off with my analyst rankings, because I think a, your uh, list has a few analysts in it as well. Um, I love Faraday. I don't. I I don't really have an explanation for it. I think sometimes he's a total idiot, but. M- Almost all the time, I enjoy the broadcast when he is on there. So I've got, uh, I got Faraday up there, number one. It seems like kind of an odd choice, but again, I'm an odd dude. So what do you want? I, I honestly, I love it. I love it for you. I, I so like you said when in your little disclosure there, I just, I just named my top five guys that I like to listen to talk about golf when I'm mm-hmm. watching golf. That's, sure. That was, that was my list. You, you broke it down the next level. Needless to say, also my my top five they're not they're not in order they're not like uh, it's not okay so it's just like a, a top five you know in general and if I okay. wanted to order them I'd have to think a lot harder about it but my number one guy was Johnny Miller you like Johnny Miller I and I don't like Faraday honestly full disclosure that's I'm, okay I'm not a big Faraday guy that's okay he just like it's a mile a minute. I think he knows what he's talking about, but I don't know why. This may sound terrible, but I feel like he's just not as credible as Johnny Miller. Maybe it's because Johnny Miller won a major. I mean, he's certainly not as credible. I mean, he, you know, in terms of golf accomplishments. Yeah, and so I guess <laughs> that, that 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 gives me a bad taste in his mouth for what he says about the about the golfers. I don't I don't know, but I respect him. I think he I think he's very entertaining, but 
definitely not in my top five. Okay, that's fair. Um, I'll just uh, run down my. How, how do you want to do this? I'll, I'll just run down my analyst list, and then do you want to share your five list, and then I'll go to my play-by-play list, and then I have a couple honorable mentions in there as well. Dude, we we were going top five, and you gave me sixteen names, so I don't I don't know what's going on here. I'm but sorry. No, let's. Why don't Why don't we do this? This will be easier. So we can go through. Why don't you just say all of your all of your guys? And then I'll say all of mine, and then we can talk about like blatant differences or blatant agreements and why mm. we feel that way. And okay. then we can one thing that I've that I like to do. We can also throw these lists up on Twitter and throw yeah. them up, throw them up on the website. I have the episode notes section, perfecto, uh, where people can go back and just like leave comments and talk about what we talk about. So we can kind of open up the discussion to the people that are listening. I think it's a fantastic idea because I think I think there's definitely going to be some names that we forgot because I feel like like I said I only have five on here, so I know someone's going to throw a name out there that I'm going to be like, damn, dude, I. I wish I could have thrown him on there, but uh, one hundred percent. That that goes for me as well. So let's hear. I want to hear yours, and then we'll say mine, and then we'll uh, and then I'll talk shit on your list. All right. So <laughs> I'll start. With, I'll start with my analysts first. That's this is an excellent excellent practice here. So I'll start with my analysts. So I got Faraday at one, Nick Faldo at two, Johnny Miller at three, uh, Frank Nabilo at four, and then Ian Baker Fitch at five. And then if you jump way down to wherever the bottom of the list is, I'll put Greg Norman down there. <laughs> uh, the choking is not exclusive to the golf course. It goes to the broadcast booth. All right. Burn. Play-by-play, guys. Um, I feel like there's more people than they would realize that would agree with me on my top play-by-play guy. Uh, I've got Mike Tirico. I think Mike Tirico is absolutely fantastic. Um, when Fire. he's When he's in the golf... I mean, I think he's great for everything. I think he's kind of... Almost like a modern day Al Michaels. I mean, he's I know the, I know now he works for NBC as well, so he's doing a lot of the football games, you know, with Chris Collinsworth when Al's taking the you know the game off. Um, you know, he's really good in the golf broadcasting booth. He's just always exceptional. I love love me some Mike Tirico. I think he's the the best in the business right now. I can't disagree with you there, dude. Mike Tirico's the man. And one thing I love about him, just to totally interrupt your list. No, please. I I have him on mine as well. He's in my top five. And I love that he is the American voice of the Open Championship. And he's so great at it, too. He's unbelievable at it, man. He sets a great stage. His tone is perfect. And for some reason, it matches up really well with the vibe of the Open Championship. So Mike Tirico is very, very, very high on my list as well. I think that guy is a G. Uh, so if Mike Tirico is number one on my uh, host uh, list, number two is is our friend. You know, I mean, he's everybody's friend. Powerful Jim Nance. Hello, friends. <laughs> he's he's just a man. Guy. I love that um, guy. And that's the thing is like uh, I, a lot of people have a variety of takes on uh, on Jim Nance. I think he's fantastic. You've heard me talk about this before on on, on my podcast, at least, where, you know, anybody that has a business card sized photograph of a slightly burnt piece of toast in his wallet and shows it to servers at restaurants to ensure that they prepare his toast in just the correct manner so as not to be upset is going to have a high spot on any list that I do. Is that actually a true story? This is a true story. Wow. So Hold I'm, on, give me this background because okay. I don't know this one. I think everyone would like to hear it too. Jim Nance is very particular about his toast. He has the same thing for breakfast almost every single morning. You know, an eggs, bacon, and toast kind of guy. But he likes to have his toast ever so slightly burnt. You're talking like a couple specks of black, you know, uh, you know, s- you know, smearing across his toast. Um, it, but it needs to be just right. If it's under, you know, uh, under toasted or over toasted, he won't eat it. He sends it back and wants to bring out something, you know, more to his liking. And so after years of just, you know, this back and forth with servers across America, he, you know, he's just, you know, God, they can never like figure out and just ask for it slightly burnt. They can't, you know, they can't just, they can't get it right. It's, it's very frustrating. And so his wife, as a good partner would do, went online, found a picture of toast that is pretty much just the way he likes to have it prepared, reformatted the size of it to a business card size, printed out a color photograph, laminated it, and now Jim Nance carries it around in his wallet. And when he orders breakfast in the morning, he shows the server the picture of the toast exactly as he wants it prepared. And you know what? I like a man that knows what he wants. Good on him. I I would love to talk to a server or a waitress that has had this experience cuz I want to know how he deals with it. I want to know I want to make cuz this is this is teetering on the edge of a of a kind of like you know, A-list celebrity kind of nar- like I don't want to say narcissistic, but it's 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 teetering on the edge of it could be really bad. Mm. So if he's in any type of grumpy mood in the morning, I think that could be a very negative thing for the server. 
Um, so I'm curious to hear it from their perspective. But I will agree with you. I, I like a man who, who knows what he likes, but oosh. Oosh, I, that's a bold move, Mr. Nance. I got to say, I, I like Jim Nance's life. I think, you know, he's out calling big football games. He gets to call a lot of golf. And when he's not doing one of those two things, he's out playing Augusta or Cypress Point. That's a pretty chill life. Facts. <laughs> so I put uh, Jimmy Nance at number two. Uh, number three on my host list, I got Terry Gannon. Killer. I, th- I, think, I think Terry is absolutely fantastic. Um, pretty much the, the Golf Channel broadcast crew is really consistently one of my favorites. When Terry Gannon and Nick Faldo are working together, that I, I like that duo as much as any in the business. I think those guys are great together. I think Terry does a very, very good job. He's very talented. Um, and I mean, hey, he calls a great figure skating competition at the Olympics as well. He's very, very multidimensional. Love to see that versatility. As they say in the startup world, man, he can wear a lot of hats. Yes. <laughs> startup friendly. Number four, I don't, I saw, I think on somebody else's list, and it was just like, I love him so much. I don't know if he's a host, but I put him in there just because he's a lot of fun on like the 15th or 16th hole. He's usually on 16 at Augusta, but I mean, Vern Lundquist. I mean, come on. Vern's so great. Vern's unbelievable. And I think, I don't think he had the best call when Tiger chipped in on 16, but that doesn't matter to me. I'm not a guy that remembers golf shots by their call. Mm -hmm. I think Vern Lundquist, as far as the sentimentalness and emotional attachment to him at the Masters at 16, I think that, I think that's a great person to have on your list. 100%. Funny looking guy. Oh, he's so great. And, uh, and I think he actually gets an added bonus because he's in Happy Gilmore. One Happy Gilmore. I actually totally forgot he's in Happy Gilmore. <laughs> he gets, he gets a ton of bonus points for being in Happy Gilmore. That's, True. He kind of gets a permanent life, like, oh, chest bump pass. You know, he's he's good. Him and Bob Barker, both. Yes. Fact. Um, number five, Dan Hicks is very good at what he does. So I, I had to throw it in there as, as well. Um, You know, I, I do like the other guys more, but you can't deny the fact that Dan Hicks is, is very good at what he does. So he had to be included on that list as well. Um, And then, you know, as a, you know, a little ways down the list, you know, I've learned to appreciate Joe Buck more over the years uh, when it comes to football and baseball. Um, don't think he's great in the booth uh, on 18. So I, I probably would try to steer away from a, from a Joe Buck golf broadcast. I would have to agree with you, but I recently heard Joe Buck do an interview with Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, are you a big Stern fan? You know, I do really like Stern, but I don't listen to it that often. I grew up with Stern with my dad. We listened all the time on, on long road trips. But That's a good dad right there. My dad's neat. My dad runs the show, dude. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I was I was listening to Joe Buck on Howard Stern, and he made a fan out of me. I was incredibly critical of him at Chimber, Chambers Bay, just as, as far as like talking with my friends and with other golf buds. Uh, I was I, I agree. I don't I don't think he did a good job, but I. I'm a fan of the guy. I'm still not fully committed on the on the broadcasting mm-hmm. as far as what what I do. I like to listen to him. Do I, I feel like I end up saying more things like "Oh, come on, Joe," like when I'm watching the game, as opposed to like you don't. You almost want you almost want you want commentators and hosts and analysts. You almost want them to be like referees, where like in a perfect world they have no effect on your on your viewing. Yeah, like referees, you want them to have no effect on the game at the end of the day. You know, so uh, so yeah, still learning to love Joe Buck, but for now. I'm a fan of the guy for sure. The dude's a baller. Okay. And the thing is, I think if Joe Buck was doing a lot of golf coverage, I could very easily see him getting better. The The problem is that he, he wears so many hats that when he's doing golf, he just doesn't have enough reps to really have a good footing and know exactly what he's talking about. Because really, at least for me, I my hope is that the broadcaster's Add something that I wouldn't have picked up if I was watching it on mute. Yep. You know, but giving a, a little more context, keeping me aware of everything going on in the tournament. You know, when guys are actually playing and you're watching them, you know, they've seen enough golf where if they see, you know, notice a little change in the swing or, you know, something they're doing in terms of the strategy of how they're playing the hole. Um, most of the time, I can figure that out on my own. Um, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, I learn something here and there. And I think Joe just doesn't have enough golf experience to really, um, yeah. Basically, to be on the same level as the other guys, Terry Gannon watches a ton of golf and is very, very aware of all the little intricacies going on everywhere. That, you know, because he does it all the time. And at the end of the day, like Terry Gannon is a golf guy. Yes. Joe Buck is not a golf guy. I think he could become a golf a golf guy, but I don't think so. So, uh, but I don't think he's good at it right now. So I like that list, dude. You have a pretty solid list. We'll uh, 
We'll run through it again. Let me give you my quick top five. Yeah, give, so give, give me your five here. My five were Johnny Miller, Jim Nance, Mike Tirico, Nick Faldo, and Bob Costas. Very solid list. Powerful, dude. Powerful list across the board. I love your Frank Nabilo pick. I'm bummed I left him off. I yes. think I think he's great. I, I think, think Frank's great, too. I think he knows what he's talking about. Surprisingly, fun thing, no one I didn't see on either one of our lists. Powerful Brandel Chambly. Mm, I, I definitely thought about Brandel Chambly. I like Brandel. I think he's a really good analyst. I think that dude knows a lot about the golf swing. He's incredibly personable. I, I'm a big-time Brandel fan, and I like how much he cares about the golf swing in general like he cares and i think he he bridges a pretty smart a pretty good gap where he understands the old golf swing really well and can explain the old golf swing to a point where i understand it just listening to him Mm -hmm. and he's making a conscious effort to learn the new golf swing and learn it well Mm -hmm. so it's kind of cool to see someone like from the old school that knows the old school so well make make an effort to learn the new school and be able to explain it and then also kind of have the, I don't want to say humility, but he whenever he talks about the golf swing, he always goes like, you know, I'm figuring it out as I go, but like I spent this much time looking at it, and this is what I think I saw, and this is what I'm feeling about it, and this is how I compare it to what Jack, what Lee, what Sam Snead, what Ben Hogan, what these guys used to do. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that's a cool way, because like, bottom line, like no one will ever swing like Ben Hogan again, and it's not as effective to swing like Ben Hogan now as it was then. Mm-hmm. So it's cool how he finds the parallels and what, they're doing with their lower body or what they're doing with their like left hip or what they're doing, you know, at the top of the backswing where the club face is in relation to their hands. Like sure. those kind of things and the way he draws the parallels, I think is really, really interesting, but still didn't make my top five. Okay. That's fair. Um, one, uh, one other guy I wanted to see on your list is Bob Costas. I would have definitely put Bob Costas in there, um, but I don't think he's active. So I, I stuck with guys who are still actively doing it. Because if not, you could add a lot of uh, a lot of guys on there as well. A lot of legends. I did not. We 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 forgot to set caveats for this, and we forgot to set boundaries, and we just went with but top I actually, five. I think it's kind of good because we ended up with like two kind of different sorts of lists, and we got a lot of names. Um, to touch on Brandel Chambly, um, is he most? He's mostly like a studio analyst, though, right? Does he actually sit in the booth on eighteen very often? He does not sit in the booth very often. Okay, he's yeah, a studio analyst. I, I, I kind of just thought him as a studio analyst, so that's why I didn't include him in my list. I agree that he really does know the golf swing, but I don't know. I don't, for some reason, his hair bothers me. And I mean, obviously, when it's, we're talking about broadcasting and audio, that's very important. Yeah, well, yeah, when he, your hair directly affects how your voice sounds. Yes, correct. And I wanted to actually give a couple of honorable mentions. You went deep on this list. Show me the, give, so me, give the, me the honorable mentions. The, these Hit are, me with the honorable these mentions. people are not analysts, nor are they hosts, but they are, uh, you know, these guys are critical to a couple of major golf broadcasts for in terms of adding context to everything. So I wanted to make sure their names got mentioned. Hit me with the better luck next time, guys. Um, no, no, not not quite. Tom Rinaldi is excellent when he does his feature pieces in the Masters and all the other golf tournaments. I think he's absolutely sensational. He makes me cry. Uh, and that same, uh, you know, in that same angle, Jimmy Roberts is great as well. Jimmy Roberts but, is awesome. But both of those guys are fantastic. And then uh, Jimmy Roberts, king of the sweater under the suit jacket. Good, yeah, good move. And then the last one uh, is one of the quote-unquote reporters uh, who interviews players uh, in the clubhouse after their round, Miss um, Holly Saunders. I'm not really sure. You just like her because she's beautiful. Yeah, I've actually, I don't, I don't know if she's a good interviewer or not. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't totally know. But she I builds know a good rapport. When she is on the TV, I'm captivated. Yeah. I'm so she, she has to get on the list as well. All right, fair enough. I like those honorable mentions. I think Tom Rinaldi, uh, Holly Saunders, I think those are powerful ones. Thank you. You're Thank wel- you. You're welcome. Jimmy Roberts obviously destroys the game. So you, okay, so this is just, just for just for laughs here. We, uh, I, was <laughs> like, why, I was like, why don't we do a top five power rankings for commentators? So I have five names here. You have 15. The, yes, 15. 15. So I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> next time next time we're gonna have to set harder boundaries because I'm going with non-active players you're going with you're going with everyone under the sun in a numbered order which I love but uh all right so let's say yeah I mean number one guy my number one guy all the time is gonna be Johnny Miller I like Johnny yeah, Miller you like Johnny Miller hate his golf courses love his commentary mm, yeah the only golf course I've ever played of Johnny Miller I wasn't a, a huge fan of which one was it just I think it was Eagle Ridge in Gilroy Oh, I don't think I've played it. Mm. You ever played Stone Tree in Nevada? Yes. That's a Johnny Miller course. So when it first opened, I loved Stone Tree. It's and, fun. Uh, I can't really 
say now just because it's I haven't played it much in the last 10 years. Fair. So, you know, my my opinion really wouldn't be worth a damn. Not that it is anyway, but... Yeah, well, I think it is. I think your opinion's definitely worth a damn. You've played more public Bay Area golf than I think anyone I know, so... I think good on me. Yeah, exactly. I think you. I think you have a very. I don't think you give yourself enough credit for what you know about golf courses. Oh, at thanks, least, man. at least in the Bay Area, for sure. Outside the Bay Area, I start to get a little fuzzy. Yeah, man. How have you never played Torrey Pines, dude? No, yeah. <laughs> I seriously, though, I, I I'm not quite sure. As a as I've lived in California for ninety percent of my life, I feel like I should have played Torrey by now. And the other ten percent was Korea. So yeah. Mm. Well, what mm. can you do, right? Yeah. Alrighty, that is a wrap. Thank you again to everybody who listened. I hope you enjoyed the program. I hope you enjoyed uh, my guest, Christopher Durr. I hope you enjoyed the news at the top of the podcast. And uh, all of this is brought to you by golfguide.net. That's right. Go and save 20 to 70% on greens fees at golf courses, mostly around Northern California, with a few peppered in in Southern California, Nevada, and Oregon as well. Uh, And don't forget to use the promo code GGPODCAST when you check out uh, to save 10% on all purchases of $50 or more. Once again, that's golfguide.net. And uh, we were also sponsored by Health IQ, a life insurance company for the health conscious. Uh, Visit healthiq.com forward slash golfguide to see if you qualify. And uh, anytime that you do go on to our sponsored website with Health IQ, uh, we get a nice little something from Health IQ, so you can really support the podcast by checking that out. And you'll also be doing yourself a favor as well. Um, yeah, everybody. So we will be back next week. Uh, I've already got a podcast or a part of the podcast recorded with golf course architect Brett Hochstein. Uh, we're just going to be talking about some fun architecture-based stuff. Uh, I'm going to jump in and edit that thing and release that as part of next week's podcast. So uh, please look forward to that. Uh, otherwise should be a fun golf tournament in Scottsdale this weekend. And yeah, if you want to support the podcast, uh, the main way that you can do it is by going to iTunes and leaving us a review. Uh, we really do appreciate it. Anytime you go and leave a a review for us in iTunes, it helps us out a lot and we really do appreciate it. So, uh, five star reviews are ideal, but you know, do it, do whatever you need, got to do. So until next week, uh, I hope you guys get a round of golf in. And until then, mahalo.